We're good. Excellent. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Unfortunately, the illustration that I'm going to be giving at the end of this message, I don't feel comfortable doing it over the over the air. So, but there was there was an individual here this morning that I have got to talk to you about. Absolutely, positively, a wonderful blessing, and it falls right in line with this message. That's the good news. The bad news is I want to keep it from going out over the internet. So. Anyway, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you. We're not going to read through the chapter and then go back. I'm just going to work my way through. I hope, again, that it is an encouragement to you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need the Word. Like we just sang, where can we go but to the Word, to the Lord of the Word? And I pray that you would just work and guide and help sustain us in our knowledge and our desire to be faithful. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Now you're in Colossians chapter four. We got to Colossians four, verse one last time. Before we start with this though, I wanna read a verse from 1 Thessalonians. The apostle Paul in his opening to the church at Thessalonica in chapter one, verse three said this, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Now understand this. Paul is saying, I'm remembering what you've done. Your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. That is a whole lot, but that's not what I'm preaching on tonight. The point is this. He's remembering, and then he makes mention that it is done in the sight of our God and Savior. He's the one that rewards. I've entitled the message tonight, Paul's Faithful Fellow Laborers. We talk so much about Paul, but Paul could not have done near what he did without people, some of them even without a name. But they were there, and they were a great help. So last time, we again, we again, like I said, we finished in Colossians 4.1, which I believe should be the last verse in chapter 3. But now he says this. Look at verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And we talked about that Wednesday night, about being watchful in prayer. I think it's a great time. Continue. That's what we're our theme is this year. Give constant attention to a thing. Persevere. That's what we're supposed to do. And again, the watch is to give strict attention to. When we're praying, we give strict attention to what needs to be prayed for, what we're praying for, what we ought to be discerning in this age. Verse 3, with all praying also for us. You know, the body of Christ is wonderful. I love it when a local church member tells me 
I'm praying for you. That's why we have the list. By the way, we're going to be getting a new list coming up soon on Wednesday nights. We've got a second quarter coming, and we're going to have quite possibly other names on there that we need to pray for. Day by day, there's going to be people we're praying for for their salvation. But Paul is saying, listen, I need your prayers too, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, a door of the word, uh, just being able to speak the word. The church is always looking for ways to get the word out. Sometimes it's something that needs to start here. Like uh, earlier um, last year, Ted got a burden for having the king's kids. We needed something for the children. We've got it. There are other things that have had to adjust. That's been hard. But you know what? Praise God. We have this, and we can grow it. Praise the Lord for the um, efforts of what Wayne and others have put in with us just getting online. Look at verse 4. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now, catch this. He's talking about, I didn't finish verse 3, but speaking the mystery of Christ. And he says, that I may make it manifest. That's what's needed. Now, again, he says, walk, order one's behavior, walk in wisdom that we can get from God, as we know from the book of James, toward them that are without. We're thinking about those that are without when it comes to our neighbors, but then also legislators, whoever it might be. Paul is thinking about the basic groups of people that he would see. I remember when we were in Caesarea, and we recognized that, wow, there were three groups of people that Paul was seeing all the time when he was in prison in Caesarea. He was seeing sports people, because there was the uh, track that was right there next to him, and they were running in it all the time. But then also there were legislators and there were soldiers. There are people that we see as well. We see co-workers, we see neighbors, but you get the idea. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Redeeming the time, you know that you know what this word means, literally buying back the time, buying up opportunity, using it. And then verse 6, let your speech be always with grace. In other words, that it may be seen as having that taste of heaven, the blessing of the Holy Spirit guided by the Spirit, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. We think of the people that we run into. You know, (laughs) there's never a time God blesses road rage. There's never a time God gives a sanction to cursing somebody. Now, you know, some people might think it's silly, but the fact is, it's not supposed to be. We're to have the grace of God in our mouths. And we need to be encouraging people in that, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
Because there's going to be times when then answer needs to be given when it comes to the hope that is within us. Now, I like this because now we're coming to a situation where there are individuals that are spoken of by Paul as he's reflecting on his ministry, the people that helped. You know, probably one of the things that discourages God's people at times is they get to thinking, is it worth it? You ever felt like that? Who remembers? Who cares what I do or I don't do? How many of you would agree that God cares? Now, here's what I like about this. There is a shadow of our God over what Paul is saying. Remember, he is saying, you know, I'm remembering your, without ceasing, your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. If there's one thing, and there are many things that we come away with, but one of the things we come away with from reading God's word, and we get to these places where it's like, oh boy, now he's going to be, you know, just thanking a lot of people. Hey, praise God, biblical Christianity is a place where people are remembered, not by humanity, but by God himself. There is a place that God's people, those who have trusted Christ, are going to be going to. It's the Bema seat. Again, I remember when I saw the Bema seat. Honey, what is it? I, I'm forgetting all of a sudden that track. What was it? Hippodrome. They're in Caesarea. You, you look, you're, you're there. The Mediterranean is behind you. You're there looking at all those seats and see the place where the Apostle Paul was speaking to Agrippa, King Agrippa. But then you go through, and it's not a big deal. You don't have to go through this, but you can go through a hallway or you can go around it. You go through a tunnel, I should say, or you can go around it. But you get to this spot where you're looking, and, and there is the Hippodrome. And there on that side, facing out to the Mediterranean, right in the middle, is the place where the Bema seat was. And after they ran or they did whatever, they, they, um, they were out there with whatever sport, whatever it might be. After they fought, they contended, all that, there was the place where they were rewarded. That is what we are looking forward to with Christ. Now, what is it that the Bible says we can do with a cup of water? If you give a cup of water in whose name, it'll be, re it'll be remembered. You know, that cup of water isn't a bad thing to remember. When you can do something for somebody, maybe nobody else is going to know, but you did it. And by the way, sometimes people are 
They're, they're restricted by what they can do physically, but everybody can go to the prayer closet. Everybody. So let's take note of these people. And it's not just that you, you'll see what I mean. There's some insight here. First of all, there's a man by the name of Tychicus, the believer who served others. He served others. Look at verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, Paul is being guided by the Holy Spirit, but also he's being guided but from his own experience. The Holy Spirit is guiding overall, but he's remembering a brother, and that brother is beloved because of his actions, his faithfulness, his servanthood. Look at verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Stop and consider this. Here was a man that operated so much like Paul did. Tychicus was a native of Asia. He was a companion and traveled often with him, Acts chapter 20 tells us. He was commissioned, he was actually commissioned by Paul as a messenger to several churches. He was entrusted to deliver letters. He delivered for Paul letters to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and to Philemon. He was sent on a special mission, according to 2 Timothy 4. He was sent on a special mission to Ephesus. So here was a man that could be trusted. And Paul says, hey, praise God, he's a brother beloved. He was to be sent to Crete for the purpose of relieving Titus. So here was a man that could help out those that were preaching and those that were reaching. He was called not only Paul's beloved brother, but according to verse 7, he was called his fellow slave. That kind of lets you know a little bit about this man's character. Now, he never wrote a book. He never wrote a letter. He never wrote an epistle. But he was there. Let's see the another man. Look at verse 9. Onesimus. The believer, well, you'll see. He sought to correct the situation in his past. He wanted to make it right. Look at verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, and then he says this, who is one of you? Now, does anybody remember what Onesimus was before? He was a slave. But now, Paul says, he's one of you. Hey, it's amazing what biblical Christianity can do. It makes the foot of the cross level, but then raises people that are there. He's a runaway slave. He's the one that's the subject of that one-page letter, Philemon. He fled from Colossae, 
And when he fled, he fled to Rome. And he wound up with Paul. Isn't it interesting what God does? According to Paul, he's a faithful and beloved brother. He was led to the Lord by Paul or by somebody else in Rome, but the point is, he was led to the Lord. And he kept following the Lord. He was known by others as a beloved brother. He was so faithful. Again, here he is. We, we, we need to catch this. He was so faithful that here's a man who was bought and sold and bought and sold, or what, you know, I don't know how many times. Maybe it was just once. But he fled. He wanted to get out from where he was with this man, Philemon. And God worked in his life. Isn't it amazing the difference that God can make? He's a beloved brother to the point that he says, you know what? He's one of you. He's one of you. He was returning to Colossae with Tychicus. Why? Because he broke the law and he wanted to make it right. He fled from his master. Now he's going back. I'm not sure what he was thinking. We don't know from Scripture. He might have been thinking that once Philemon saw him, Philemon might get angry. But the Apostle Paul, as we saw before, wrote in Philemon, hey, you need to, you need to accept him like you do me. It's amazing what happened here. He was converted. God forgave him of his sins. And his brethren in Christ did the same thing. Then, look at verse 10. Man by the name of Aristarchus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Now, by the way, why some of these people were chosen, I don't really know. But again, look at them. He was a member of the church at Thessalonica. He was a citizen of Thessalonica. In fact, he was one, according to what we read in the Scripture, he was one of the believers that was attacked by the mob in Ephesus. They were rioting against Christianity, and he got caught up in all of it. Did he run? No. Instead, he kept serving the Lord. He went with Paul to minister. Paul was called to Asia, again, Acts chapter 20. He is seen traveling with Paul to Rome. Remember, Paul is going to Rome, and Lord knows what's going to happen. He says, I'm going with you. Amazing. Acts 27 is where that is taken note of. He is seen as a fellow prisoner. In other words, here's Paul. He's a prisoner, not justly, but he's a prisoner. Aristarchus comes up behind him, beside him and says, I am too. However they treat you, they'll treat me. 
or if that's if that's what they do, that's okay. This is this this is the preciousness of the early church. But again, take note: names are being called out. Why? Because our God remembers. Our God remembers. I was talking to Ms. McGee this morning, again before the Sunday school class, and. You know, while I'm up here, I can remember people that none of you know, people that were here decades ago. But let me tell you something. They were faithful. They were wonderful people. I remember Mr. Buckler back there where Brad is sitting. That man served God like you couldn't believe. That's why we named this the Buckler Wing. He was right there with the Christian school. Vivian, you know what I'm talking about. What an incredible man of God. He was going through stuff like you. I can't get into the detail, but it was rough. His wife had some real challenges when it came to her mental health, some real challenges. You remember that. And yet here he was. It was just, boy, and there's so many others that I think of. You know, Mr. Rainbow, he was 95 years old when the Lord finally called him home. And there's ladies. I praise God for people that have been here, still here, that are serving, that are serving the Lord. He has seen Aristarchus. He is seen as a prisoner because of what is being said. Apparently, though, Also, above and beyond that, he also was charged with the same crime with Paul. I'm yours. I'm there. So, okay, we're charging you too. The point is this. He was a real companion. Now, stop and consider this. If things get tough on a scale of 1 to 10... How long do you think we'll go with our fellow believers? What would we do? Would we go, I'm out out of this? I hope and pray not. Because, you know, we're rejoicing in this. You know, the, the word can get out. But that word is going to come back and be a witness as far as the government is concerned, and other people, that word is going to be a witness against us. Okay, we still preach the word. We're there. We're there. Now, look at the end of verse 10. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Now, he gives an instruction at the very end. Listen, if if he comes, I want you to receive him. Why was that said? Because earlier, John Mark had fled. He forsook Paul. But he made it right. He came back, and Paul forgave him. And here he is, once again, He's redeeming himself. Paul dealt with him. 
Paul, I'm sure, prayed with him. John Mark has repented. He is now right with God, and he's right where he needs to be. He redeemed himself. And Paul says, touching whom ye receive commandments, I told you what to do. If he comes, you receive him. You don't blame him. You don't put him out. You bring him in. Then, look at verse 11. And Jesus, which is called justice, who are the of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. He was a man who was a Jewish believer who turned from religion to Christ. Now notice, this is interesting. What Paul is saying here up to this point, at least, these people that he has listed, they're fellow Jews. But now they're also fellow believers. He says, these people have been with me, and they have worked with me, and praise God, they are faithful to Christ. So here was a man, one among several, a fellow Jew, who has said, I am following Christ. Then, here's an exciting man, Epaphras, the prayer warrior, the prayer warrior who was also a hard worker. I, I, I'm telling you, I look at Epaphras, and I see this guy's probably got work gloves. You know, he, I, I mean, he, he's got it. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. He was, according to chapter 1, verse 7 of Colossians, the minister of the church at Colossae. He was also a faithful minister of Christ. He was a servant of Christ. He was a fellow servant. So much has been said about him. Paul called him my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Philemon 23. But above and beyond that, here was a guy who took seriously the prayer closet. He took seriously the needs of people. He was there to work. You know, we, we've talked about people often. And, you know, when it comes to people praying for me and praying for my wife and praying for the ministries of the church, I don't know how much or how little all of you do pray, but there were there have been times, you know, I have found out, you know, who's just really praying. And I tell you what, I miss Kathy Heyer. With as much as we would tease her and Tim Schmidt and my son would make life miserable for her. She really prayed for us. Besides, I think she's going to get back when we all go into heaven. I think Kathy's going to be hiding behind one of the pillars. When Tim 
and, and, and Michael come in, she's going to scare him to death if that's possible in heaven. But he was, he was so fervent. Now, don't let this die a slow death in your heart. Here was a man who was being taken note. People don't see what people do in the prayer closet. But Paul knew. Praise God for the prayer closet. It doesn't take a special gift. It doesn't, it doesn't take physical, you know, stamina. It just takes a willing heart. That's why, you know, that prayer list that we have now for the church, that's why we need to be calling each other out every day, Monday through Friday. I do it Tuesday through Saturday. But praying for people in the church. Now, look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, all he had to do was say, beloved. Why? Because we've also read Luke as an author. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. He's a physician that is beloved, I think, because of several things. Number one, he would help other people when it came to their ailments, and there was not a healing that was granted there. But also, he was there for Paul. I, You know, maybe in your study, you know, you might have heard different things that the Apostle Paul went through, and we can kind of guess, you know. I mean, you know, here, here, here he is, a guy that got stoned. I mean, stoned to death. You know, and then he raises up. Do you think maybe he had a few places that were kind of sore for the rest of his life? And then his eyes? I don't know. But Paul simply calls him beloved. He was close to Paul. He traveled with Paul. That's how we got the book of Acts. Here was a man that was there for Paul. No wonder you read what the, what the, uh, the Lord told us. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That's John 13. You can see it in Luke's life. Then there is one other person in verse 14 that is mentioned. And it's simply this. And Demas greets you. Nothing was said about Demas except just that he was there. And I get to thinking about it with everything that has been said by these others are about these others. Why was it that Paul just said, and Demas, reach you? I, I, you know, my speculation is about worth as much as, well, you know, but I wonder if Paul had a hint already that the heart of Demas was drifting. At the very least, that maybe there, there wasn't a whole lot when it came to the Lord's work that he was desirous of. 
Oh, there were things of the world that he was excited about because as I preached not too long ago, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. He went to Thessalonica. He sought after the world. He chased after the world. You know, it's too bad. There were others that Demas knew. He knew the men that Paul mentioned. But there wasn't the impact in him. It's where it just simply says, and Demas, greet you. A couple of other situations. Look at verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. This is interesting. Here was a man. He did, I think, what many people wound up doing at this time. If they had a house that could handle it, they would actually have the church meet in their house. I remember when uh, we started the uh, Walnut Creek Baptist Church there in Walnut Creek, California, the pastor rented a big enough house where we could actually have church services in his living room. It was a good-sized house, and it was great. We had so much fun. It was, it was literally, at that time, it was a house church, and it was a joy. So he lived in Laodicea. Paul knew about him, knew about his testimony, and he said, hey, let this fellow know, salute him. Salute the brethren that are in Laodicea. Make sure you remember Nymphus. But let me ask you something. When we mention Laodicea, what comes to mind? The seventh church in Revelation. Now watch this. Look at verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, we don't know. We don't know what that epistle said. We just have the epistle from Colossae. Now, it's interesting, we take note of this, that these letters, when they're circulated, they're being instructed to understand that it's not just a simple letter. When Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, he said this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The Holy Spirit was using Paul and others to let the early church know, listen, this just, this isn't gossip. This isn't just, hey, how you doing? This is instruction guided by the Holy Spirit from God himself to help the church 
know how to live. The believer to know how to act, to live, to witness what they are, what they do, all of this. So he's saying to them, all right, there was a letter to the church at Laodicea. Here's the letter at Colossae. Make sure both assemblies read both letters. Now, there's a final man that is mentioned. I don't want to read into this. I just want to, just a little bit of speculation, and you can do with it what you want. Look at verse 17. There's a man by the name of Archippus. He was given a special task. We don't know what it was, but read. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. That apparently is something that is being said that I believe to one degree or another impacts the church at Laodicea. The next thing we read is what Christ said to the church at Laodicea. I don't know if it was a warning. Just don't know. We don't have the epistle. It was lost a long time ago. But we can gather from what is said to the other churches and by Paul and, of course, Peter, John, James, etc., Jude, that there is a warning that goes out to local churches. Be careful. Today, churches are dying, and it's not just the mainline churches. Not only that, the number of men that have been called to ministry has diminished. Remember the wave of Christian schools that came in the 70s and 80s? All of a sudden, churches across America, they are having schools like crazy. I think, Roger, if I remember, when it comes to ACE, they were opening up an average of like three a day. I think it was something like that. It wasn't too long. They were closing that fast. For what reason? I'm not going to take the time now to talk about that. The point is this. Churches can get excited about what God has called them to, but then if they're doing it in the flesh, they can get, I don't know, bored with it. I remember a man that I highly respected and said he was called to go to a certain place. And he went there and he started a church and he's oper- he's working And somebody said, why did you leave? And the reply was, I got bored. And I was shocked because he was a tremendous soul winner. But he said, I got bored. Now, that's up to him, and he has gone on to be a tremendous soul winner. But, you know, folks, look around here. Do you realize what we have? You realize how many churches out there are still paying a payment for their property? 
churches that are in storefronts, we have this free and clear. And this is in a needful community. Now, you know what? We can look at this, and we can think, you know, I praise God for when God gives us an Aristarchus, an Epaphras, a Justice, even a John Mark who gets right with God. I love that. Lord, help us when we have a Demas who just, yeah, and then next thing you know, They've gone to Thessalonica. They're not to be found. That's it. Bottom line, folks, we can be encouraged. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be closing this up, but offline. We can be encouraged in this. Everything, and I mean everything, we do for the Lord in this place is rewarded. Amen? Everything. Lord,